Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. So, hello, Mandy Spenceley. It's good to have you on the podcast today. Morning, Marianne. Lovely to be here too. What a gorgeous day. It is. Do you know what? It's been flipping raining here all week. Thunder and lightning the lot. And as we record this, it was the mid- middle of June. And yeah, it's been horrible, really muggy. And with all this sort of lockdown, I, t- I tell you what, I've just had cabin fever this week. And I woke up this morning and thought, I cannot move. <laughs> you know, you're just so achy, I haven't done any exercise. So, But yeah, so this weekend I plan to tidy up my study. Some people will have seen on, on Facebook uh, and the like that I've been posting pictures of my office and what that's like because that's that's my world right now <laughs> and mine <laughs> well while everyone's going back to work I'm um I'm sorting out my office but it's really good to have you on the podcast today Mandy we've known each other it feels like forever but actually not that long in the scheme of things I think it absolutely does feel like forever doesn't it and you know when you ask the question how did we meet and how do we get to know each other I just really can't remember to be honest <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah it just uh, it has it hasn't been that long has it about 18 months I think it must be one of the women in surveying something or other that I did that we connected. Yeah. But that's good. We don't need a, a, a we don't need an anniversary to celebrate being friends. <laughs> no, we, no, we, no, we definitely don't. <laughs> so, um, so tell me a bit about your career and what you do, where you work now. Tell us a bit about that. Okay, so I'm an area operations manager with uh, East Serve Chartered Surveyors. I manage a team of surveyors in the Midlands. My background is, um, it's just surveying, essentially. I started out from school as a trainee surveyor, working for a local private practice, doing degree on day release at Nottingham Trent University, and moved into various roles to gain experience and qualification. So I moved into local authority for quite a while. I worked for a pub company. I've worked for an electricity company. I've worked for telecoms. So all sorts of things, really. And in my spare time, I'm a, I'm a local town councillor as well. Now, I want to ask you about that a bit later, because I think you need a medal for doing some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I probably do. You're one of the um, few guests that I've had on, actually on the podcast, that hasn't said, I fell into surveying. Did you intentionally yeah. set out to be a surveyor? Do you know what? I actually did fall into surveying. Uh, um, did, I knew it. I knew it. I, I did. I did. I wanted to go and do a degree in business studies and a language when I was 18 and there were lots of reasons why I didn't go and do that actually primarily because my dad was really poorly when I was a teenager and and I didn't want to leave home so got my A-levels and um, I went into Doncaster had three interviews legal executive local authority rating trainee and a trainee chartered surveyor I didn't actually know what any of them did I got offered all three jobs and I decided, well, I don't really want to work for the council. I hadn't really thought about law and I didn't know what a chartered surveyor was. I'll give that a go. And absolutely loved it right from day one. Um, and it was residential surveying for a local estate agency. 
I was essentially, I started at the bottom. You know, I started out making the tea, doing the filing, but also spending half of my days every day going out with surveyors, lifting drain covers, testing for damp, setting ladders up. And I just thought, wow, I didn't even know this job existed. And, uh, and, I've, and I never wanted to do anything else. And I only actually left residential surveying to go into all these other roles just to, um, to gain my qualifications. So I was, I was on this, I had tunnel vision from that moment on. I had tunnel vision to get qualified. That was my career and that's what I was going to do. In those days, it was, the qualification was for general practice. And, you know, for the younger surveyors these days, they probably won't realise that we didn't specialise in those days. And as a residential surveyor, it's really, really hard um, if you're doing valuation to, to get your qualification if you haven't got experience in all these other areas. So local authorities and district valuers offices were real training grounds for general practice surveyors. So I went into local authority and managed three industrial estates, for example, for a time I managed an office, which was a, a converted grammar school, converted into a business centre. So there's about 30 or 40 offices in there. I wasn't, I didn't have my degree at this stage. I was just a trainee. So you can imagine the breadth of experience I got and, and the, and the, um, the, just, I suppose the level of, um, responsibility I had just on the basis of my experience, not, not because I had a qualification, but it was, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I got qualified. And then I wanted to relocate from Doncaster. So my career wasn't my focus. My life was my focus. And I wanted to relocate to North Yorkshire. So I basically applied. In those days, there was no internet. I wrote to every <laughs> snail mail, actual paper. I wrote a letter to every single chartered surveyor within a certain radius of where I wanted to live. Uh, and in the end, I moved to a local authority in the North Yorkshire County Council. But um, as I said, my life was more important to me at that point than my career. I had, you know, got my qualification at North Yorkshire County Council and sort of um, always wanted to get back into residential. Always, always, because mm. I always remembered going out with those surveyors and wanting to do that myself. It's funny the experience you have in those sort of formative early years of starting to work and the what you still remember. I did a graduate scheme for Lang uh, back in the day, and one of the things I had to do was so a house builder, and one of the things I had to do was to work in a land buying department. And I remember putting a, again, pre-internet, but, you know, I remember putting a plan together with, you know, sticky dots and, and things like that <laughs> to do comps. And, you know, we, we bought this piece of land in Kidderminster to develop into into houses. And I always think, oh, I should drive past there one day, but I'm miles away now. But, you know, but I can remember being in that room and putting that together, my heart beating, thinking, oh, oh my God. And I put this plan together and... Then they just added on a couple of million and just bought it. <laughs> anyway, there was like, no, I spent ages doing this logic. And then they just, <laughs> just went for it. But I remember being on, um, uh, I, I used to manage a, a building site for a developer in St. Albans. And, and, but, the, you know, the, a bit like you, the experience that you get really shapes you and you. And as you're talking to me, because we've recorded these via Zoom, because I like to see people, I can see you smiling as you remember those, <laughs> those memories and the, the experience that we that we have. But you're right, it's so important and, and so hard. Back then, you know, it's still hard today, but also sort of back then to get qualified and you have to have that tunnel vision. And same, same for me, I joined the corporate 
surveyor that I used to work for which was three months to get valuation experience and I was there 15 years you know mm-hmm. the way that things uh, things go but you do have to move around to get that experience and that can be really disruptive particularly when you're young you've got to move location I don't think I ever planned to move anywhere I'm more I was in the Midlands for a bit. Um, then I was so home, in North Wales, I was so homesick. I thought I'll give London six weeks, which I did. And then luckily I met a few people, I met my future husband. And um, I thought six weeks in London, that's it. I'm going home and I've, I've sort of never, never gone back. But I've never really intentionally planned. What was it that made you wanted to live in and work in that part of the, the world? I just always loved the Yorkshire Dales and my parents t- brought me to the Yorkshire Dales and my brothers um, every year, not on holiday, but for day for days out. And um, I'm, it's a bit controversial this, but I'm a great believer in, in living and working in these places and not having holiday cottages. And I was a young, I was in my early 20s and I said, I don't want to retire to that, to that area. I want to live there. I want to raise my children there. I want to have my life there. And I've never looked back on that either. I mean, that was a that was a huge decision to make. And I was with my then husband at the time and we both wanted to do that. And I've never moved away. And I, do you know, I think that's a, I often talk about this sort of work-life integration and being who you are. And I agree, you know, living and working in an area, you know, that's when you really get, get to feel sort of part of a community and perhaps sort of when we we'll work on the London treadmill or, you know, work in one area and then you retire someone else. It just all feels a bit formulaic, doesn't it? So I quite admire that you decided to do that at a young age. How was studying part-time? Because that's hard. I mean, I did it off and on for a couple of years doing different things, you know, as I've, as I've grown over my career. It's hard and it's hard when you've got family as well. I didn't have family at the time, so that so that was fortunate. I think it's the equivalent of today's degree apprenticeship, actually. So very very similar. And yes, it was hard. And it, I think you just have to have a, a tremendous amount of focus and organisational skills to be able to do a, a job very well and also study at the same time. I was very very lucky that it was a day release course. So ultimately, I did get to go to university one day a week. And uh, and I was a student that one day a week. So it wasn't, I only worked four days. But I'll tell you what was hard. It was the times when we had coursework or exams because I remember now looking back for, you know, for the whole period of, of the whole five-year period, every single bank holiday was revision. I never used to go anywhere. I didn't do much. At most weekends, I was working on my coursework or, or you know, studying. So yes, that was hard. And for me, though, it was the end goal that was important. I always looked towards the future. It wasn't the present. So it was always, at some point, I will have this qualification and I will have this degree and I will become chartered. So it's all just for that, that, that focus. And I tell you what, that's never left me either. So I'm really driven. And I think that's part of the reason why, because I had to, I had to A, go and get the job really early on. I had to be very self-motivated to get qualified and see. I moved into a rural area so I also had to um, be very very motivated in my career to keep my career going I'm about an hour away from anywhere here <laughs> you know so I've always had to drive to get to my job apart from now when I work from home and that work ethic that you've got and you've developed how has that come into your your leadership style now because one thing that I've found as I've 
I say grown up, I say grown old now, is that I expect of others. And and I think sometimes as we as we mature as leaders and take on more responsibilities, you know, the world has changed. We've just been talking about studying and getting qualified with no internet. And there'll be some youngsters listening to this who will just be thinking, we are so goddamn old. But it wasn't that long ago, I'm just saying. But you know, we sort of expect quite a lot of others and we expect others to put put the hard work in. But things are different now. And sometimes I, you know, I admit I found I'm sort of quite hard on those sort of coming through. If you want it, you've really got to go for it. Does that resonate with you in terms of how you sort of it, it people it, on? It, it does to a certain extent. In terms of qualification now, the, the associate route is, is nothing like the route I had to follow. And, and there's lots of positives around that so as a sort of slight side issue to the question here you know you don't have to spend seven years getting qualified you oh know, yeah we did get... it the hard we did it the hard way just because we could <laughs> well we, we did it because we didn't have any choice and had the associate route been available don't get me wrong I would have taken it <laughs> absolutely and absolutely I wouldn't have gone into local authority to go and get my general practice experience I would have loved the focus of being a residential surveyor so do you think then Mandy that that's where some some of this sort of mm, sort of attitude or views towards those who do ASOCs comes from, you know, we had it harder and now you've got it easier. Therefore, this ASOC isn't as worthy as a chartered qualification because I see that a lot. But do you know what? I know some um, flipping amazing ASOC surveyors who just mm. don't happen to have a degree or have, you know, taken a different career path. And sometimes I think we can sort of be little you know, or look down on them. And I think that's that's wrong. It is wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And it, it, it's for the reason I've just said, that they have a very, very focused qualification, a very focused training period, no matter where they are, whether they're in private practice or corporate or SAVA, it's all focused on survey evaluation, residential property. And they come out of that very, very accomplished. I'm not going to say surveyors at that point because everyone's still learning but they do come out with a very, very good background knowledge. There's something really to be said for that. General practice is a jack of all trades, isn't it? You know, mm. I've done compulsory purchase. I've done resident, residential, commercial, industrial, office, you know, you name it. I've done most things. You do have to specialise in doing something. But to start out as focused as the ASOCs do on residential serving valuation is a very, very good thing. It's a good thing for their clients. And like, yeah, and I think what people forget is, you know, a lot of um, ASOC candidates are mature students and they've had a career before they've come into to residential. You know, they bring all of that life experience and business experience with them. I know training is something that you're very passionate about. Tell me how you got into that kind of work. I got into it with my last employer. I was offered the role of um, training director and I developed the training program for our socks based on what they'd done previously. We just, we, we improved it and uh, looked at what, what worked well previously and, and what we'd like to improve. And it's really just started from there. I managed the program. I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily deliver the training. And I also managed the, I was the counsellor to all of the candidates. And I also managed them for a short time after qualification as well. So alongside that, I went into assessing as well. So I became an, uh, an APC assessor for RICS. I also have become an associate assessor for RICS. And I've also recently been trained to be an assessor for SAVA. 
Out of all of those roles, I love assessing, but out of all of those roles, I actually really enjoy being the counsellor. I really enjoy seeing a candidate grow and help and support them towards their qualification, identifying gaps with them, signposting them to their learning, further learning and what they've learned in the past to refresh themselves. I just I just love that. And then the most rewarding part of all of that is them coming out with a qualification at the end. And then helping them and supporting them to become, you know, very good surveyors as well. So I suppose I'm still a bit of a jack of all trades because <laughs> I love the training, but I also love the management as well because I love growing people. I love helping them be the best they can be and supporting them in that. And that's what I do now. So whereas I've got a couple of trainees going through at the moment, um, that's my main role is supporting the individuals in their roles as surveyors. Do you remember your APC interview? <laughs> my APC interview was car crash. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what, though? I, I did fail the first one and it was quite harsh. And I wrote to RICS. I don't know whether they got many candidates or did get many candidates who did this, but I wrote to RICS and I said, I was asked questions on elements I'd never, ever had experience in. And I didn't have a hope of managing to answer them. And, uh, and so the actual chairman of the panel came up from the South Coast, took me to Betty's for afternoon tea in Harrogate, and talked through the assessment and what I needed to do next. I think that kind of suggested that he felt a little bit guilty about what had gone on. So, so, so just for the record, there is an appeals process, but not everybody takes you to Betty's in Harrogate for <laughs> afternoon tea to talk to you through your assessment. <laughs> no, no, they don't, do they? Um, <laughs> yeah, but I passed the next time. <laughs> So I'll tell, tell you what my, be- my best bit of advice I can give from my experience. Choose something really vanilla. Choose something really straightforward as your, as your case study. Don't try and go all out and do something fancy. Do something you do every day of the week because that's what they want to hear. It, you you're know? right. It's about making it easy to, for someone to assess or judge you. You know, that, that just makes a difference. Then you can explore the questioning. When I did my APC, initially I'd been on the development, a planning and development pathway because I'd been with a, a property developer. But then I moved over to, I think it was then called residential survey and valuation. I think it calls, I've changed them so many times over the years. You know, so I did three months valuation experience, but then within nine months of doing the surveys, et cetera, I was able to do my, do my APC. And I did it on a 1930s property um, yeah. I talked a bit about dampness and in my APC interview, gosh, going back now, I remember there was a problem with the roof structure and the, the timber beams were too narrow. They weren't sort of strong enough. And I, I'd worked out all, whatever it is I had to do back then. But there was um, an old guy in my office, Adrian Curtis, we used to call him the Oracle he knew everything the oldest guy you've ever met knew everything you you'll know people like this and he said there was this sort of rule of thumb of half this times that you know and that was a good indication of if there was a problem and so I'd mentioned this in my presentation I'd done the workings out and then I'd mentioned this sort of rule of thumb and I had the 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 panel and there's always like a good cop bad cop routine going on what I had was the bad cop turning good because I knew about this rule of thumb and they were having this sort of spat between them my APC interview went over by about 15 minutes because they were the chairman was trying to sort it out it was was, uh, yeah I remember it I mean obviously I I passed I got my results on April the 1st 
<laughs> you know, I mean, this was what, 15 odd years ago now. Things are much better and tightened down and uh, and things. But um, yeah, I, I think out of everything I've ever had to do qualification wise, that's been the toughest because if I didn't pass, I probably would have lost my home because I was, the salary I was on, you know, getting the mortgage that we had because I'd moved jobs and different things. You know, it was a really tough time trying not to, you know, to be cool, to do the study and think, you know, I need to sort out the roof over my head. So, so I always admire people who put themselves through study and things like that because there's always another story of what they're managing, you know, back home. It's really, yeah. really hard for people. And that's why the counselling bit I get is so, it's like coaching really, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it is. It's exactly how it is. So I spend a lot of time coach. I, I have a team of surveyors and everyone's an individual. Every single person is different and there is no one size fits all. And I think sometimes um, managers do look at a team and go, well, it could be even be that they've been told this is how we want you to do it from their employers. But, you know, I, I manage my, my, my team as individuals. And so if they need help, I will help them. If they don't need help, I will leave them to it to a certain extent and just and make support calls as I need to. I've got a very, very good team, but I always say that. <laughs> I always say that because I always get to know them and I always enjoy each of the, you know, the company of each of them. And I see the good in everybody and the positives in, in everybody. And I see potential in everybody. And I think that's really the key. So I see their potential and I strive to get them to maximise their potential. And management, I think, people often, I think, forget what management is, is about. It's not just about being in charge and telling people what to do. It's actually a two-way relationship built on trust and support. Mm. And you've got to empower your line report, for want of a better description, but to empower mm. them to do their job and do their best. And, you know, very often, I mean, it's been really interesting, this sort of whole lockdown period of how people have had to work remotely, whereas we've been doing it as surveyors for many years, you know, but yeah. some people have had to learn to work remotely, trust their people that they will do the job. And, you know, I mean, I was talking to a friend the other day whose husband has had to have his video Zoom on all day so his line manager can check that he's there working no I mean you just you know and I think you know after you know after you know this period there'll be lots of employment tribunals going on <laughs> like that but also people will start to realize what how they do want to work how they don't want to work but also how we as managers can get the best out of people without being on top of their shoulders you know yeah. and breathing down their necks and we've got to to support them and I guess it's that sort of looking at the leadership styles that we have and there's not many yeah. women Mandy like you in our industry who manage people and have the experience that that you've got how have you developed your leadership style interesting when I was uh, a trainee I didn't have many female role models and one of the women I did work with was um, really quite harsh and, you know, working in a male-dominated environment, you, you feel like you have to put on this front. And in my previous roles, I was you know, heavily based, so it was a heavy, heavy bias on negotiation. I did negotiate some, some pretty valuable deals in, in some previous roles. And again, for that kind of role, I felt like I needed to put a mask on. So I came into, back into residential surveying as a surveyor on the ladders, and it was so refreshing. I could just be myself. 
it was the first time I could be myself in years in my job. And I really wanted to, when I, I always wanted to be in management and that was always, always my goal. And I thought if I ever get to be a manager, I'm going to be me. I'm not going to be trying to be somebody else. And, you know, everyone else has got their own approach to this, but I, I hope my surveyors will always acknowledge that I am me when, when I'm working with them. Well, through the last few weeks we've had, um, when, 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 uh, when we had surveyors on furlough, I've, uh, I had a weekly quiz with my team on Zoom. So, you know, they've seen the inside of my gin shed, they've seen my dog, they've seen my kids and my husband. <laughs> And uh, so, they, you know, they've got to know me a little bit better as me. And I hope they see at work that uh, that's still the same person that's talking to them at the end of the phone. Doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, I still have those difficult conversations and that still happens. But, you know, because I am, I am a leader. But at the end of the day, I hope they respect me for that. And they respect me for coming to work as myself and not putting on that front. You know, we talk about humanising what we do and remembering that each of our surveyors and line reports are humans and individual and people but also we are as leaders as well and getting a glimpse into some our leaders lives you know makes mm. a difference you know I'm just thinking of um Jacinda Ahern oh God, I can never pronounce her name Jacinda oh. Ahern you know the yeah. New Zealand prime minister and she's just running that country while she juggles her kids and does bedtime stories and all mm. earthquakes and all of the, all of those things and you just get a glimpse yeah. into she's a, a normal people and I think we need to humanize leaders as much as we do to our people but I guess there's a, a fear of that for some people that we're holding it all together we've got that mask you know we're trying to mm. keep a grip on things and if they get a sneak into know how really messy your living room is <laughs> and disorganize your office is you know that things will will there'll be judgment and things will fall apart so you know you, you know you, uh, I'm, you're right on the message for me of you know it's work-life integration you're real people we've all got yeah you know you can only bring yourself to work because otherwise it's just so hard to spin these plates you know and yeah. we're not often trained to be managers for lots of surveyors they're managers because they've been there the longest you know. Yeah, that's that's actually that's actually not the case for me. I did receive some really really good management training, and that stuck with me as well. What was that like then? What kind of training was that? It was uh, CPD training at um, sort of managers meetings, I suppose, so a couple of times a year. But some really really great training on how to have difficult conversations, time management. I can't remember now, but it was it was all really really very good and very useful. And, uh, and that, that, as I said, I found that really something that stayed with me. And where else have you got experience? Because I know you talked about being a town councillor. I'd like to talk about the wine <laughs> earth. How did that come about, Mandy? <laughs> right, well, I obviously have a career. But at the same time, as I said, I wanted to be in management and I wanted, wanted to progress. And I always, when the opportunity arose, I always I took the opportunity to, to gain experience in other things. So I've been a census district manager in the millennium. I had a six-month-old baby and I managed and recruited 27 enumerators to eating leaders and managed the census for the largest geographical area in the country from standing start with having no management experience. And I did that to put myself out of my comfort zone and to gain experience. I've been a school governor, which I really enjoyed. And, and I wanted to be a counsellor because I wanted to, there's a couple of reasons actually, selfish and non-selfish. So the non-selfish reasons were I wanted to make a difference. And, and I'm not political, but I saw my area as one where, and a lot of locals do, where the town council has 
been, it's just not been a lot of change in the last few years, put it that way. In terms of what's happened in the town, we've had a local town plan produced, which has been really useful, but not a lot of actions come out of, out of that plan yet. So the, the, the selfish reasons were that I thought, oh, that's a great place to get experience on a board. You know, I've reported to board before, but I wanted to um, to push my boundaries and and to get experience in working as a team with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. To be honest, Mandy, I thought you were going to say you wanted to get planning permission for that gin shed you've got. In <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not me. <laughs> uh, oh, so it's, you know, it's been a brilliant experience. Absolutely. It still is in communication. In It's, it's essentially like running a company. We've got financial decisions to make all the time. We're 100% accountable to the public. We're having to make strategic decisions all the time and, and, and plan strategically and get along at the same time and also deal with quite a lot of flack at the same time. My first experience as a, um, in any kind of board experience as a school governor, my local primary school, and um, yeah, you know, it's a real eye-opener. And I think on an earlier podcast with uh, Nick Brown, he's a school governor as well, and we, we talked about that. And I'd, I'd encourage anybody who would like to progress, but perhaps there isn't the, the opportunity where they work right now or the training or whatever, to actually explore what's around them because mm. it really makes a difference. And, and when I used to look at CVs, I'd always look at, you know, how people have got qualified, what routes they've taken. And I admire people who studied part-time and, and worked really hard because that tells me a lot about their worth ethic and commitment. And also those that get involved in running community groups and, and things like mm. that, because it, again, it tells you about the, the diverse range of skills they've got and the people that they meet. And then the other mm. thing I'll admit I do always or, or used to look at was um, whether they could bake cakes or not. <laughs> because because that's really useful <laughs> when they have those Macmillan uh, days where you bring in your cakes and you get a good quality cake baked. <laughs> I can bake cakes. I did get through to the interview rounds on um, Great British Bake Off a did few you? years ago. I did, <laughs> but I didn't get very far. Yet, yeah, Mandy, think. yet. <laughs> yet. I've, got time. I've got time for that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, actually, uh, where do you find all the time? to do all of this because you've got you know I think your girls are a bit older now but yeah you know you've got children family dog how do you find time to do all of these because that's the thing that most people will say I just don't have time to do all of that well I'm with you on work-life integration because uh, I, I just find the time because I love doing whatever I'm doing whether it's work whether it's being counsellor whether a town counsellor whether it's being an associate assessor I love every part of what I do I don't do anything I don't enjoy and I will find the time. Obviously, work will always come first. It always has done and always will in terms of the working hours in the day. But I just put everything in around that evenings and weekends, mornings, just like you, you know. So as I say, it doesn't really feel like, it doesn't feel like not doing anything I don't, I don't, you know, I enjoy it. So I'm not trying to fit in something. I don't yeah, when you do, when you do something you love, it doesn't feel like work. But I guess the the hard part then is juggling the lights of the family. You know, I'm, I'm recording this podcast now. It's a Saturday morning. I'm about to lock the door because my daughter wants to come in. Oh. <laughs> that sounds really cruel, but, you know, it's it's just for an hour. She just wants to come in because she's interested and she thinks she's, there's some sweets in my handbag. So <laughs> that's why she wants to come in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you know, it's it, it's... The problem with work like integration and being yourself is actually it's quite hard to have those boundaries 
and knowing actually when to walk away from a piece of work or something that you're doing and get out and have time for yourself. How do you, how do you manage that? Because mental health is so, I mean, now more than ever, isn't it? It's so important. How do you manage that? I started the Couch to 5K last year. I need to get back into that, I've got to admit. I've actually got um, my bike on a roller. What big? I don't know what they call it now, but I've got one of those roller things. So I don't actually have to think about going on a journey on my bike. I can do it in my porch. What else do I do? I take the dog out when he needs to go out and we go for nice walks with the dog. How do I do that? It just, I don't know, it just fits in. Everything just fits in. Um, my girls are a lot older and my husband has always had a job which has been very similar in terms of having to integrate it with family life because he's an on-call fireman and a whole-time fireman as well, which means that it doesn't matter whether he's at work or not at work, he's always at work, if you know what I mean. Mm. <laughs> so, so, you know, because he, he's on-call from home. It's never been any different in our house. I've never been one of these 95ers. Just, I mean, I'm thinking back to when I used to work at the council. That was a long time ago. I suppose I was then on flexi time, but that's about the last time. When I, when I left the council, our first job outside local authority was with a pub company. Well, they're not nine to five jobs, are they? Mm. You know, so um, yes, I had an office role, but, you know, it, one of the questions in the interview was, uh, you know, how do you feel about working in the evenings? And, and uh, you know, because that's when our publicans are, are at work. And I said, well, that's no problem. So I've not known any different. And actually, I think that's, as I think about it, that's true of surveying. I don't know many surveyors who do just work nine to five. We all work flexibly and, and around life, you know, uh, thinking yeah. about it. Hmm. I work for ESERV and uh, work-life balance is something that we're absolutely 100% striving for all the time with our surveyors. And uh, I totally acknowledge, and I think most of the industry acknowledges that, yeah, we do have to work flexibly in our role as residential surveyors. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why it attracts new entrants because you, they can see that flexibility. You know, I remember when I was on the ladders, and I used to, um, I used to be able to go to the school sports day in the afternoon without taking a day off. You know, the usual thing: they set a sports day and it rains, and then have to set another day. So it's not like you take <laughs> a holiday and then another day, two days, two days notice, is it? So you used to have to be able to fit it in or miss it. I never used to miss it. I used to always get to school sports day and always have my six points done in the morning and just work a little bit later that evening to get the jobs out, knowing that I'd had my time off sort of in the afternoon, see the kids run. Makes such a difference, doesn't it? Being yeah. allowed to do that. I mean, there's nothing amazing about a kids' sports day. They were usually really, you know, boring. There's one race. <laughs> my kids always came last or fall over. But yeah. Can I ask you about women in surveying? We talked about that's in some way, shape or form, that's how we met. How do you feel about the number of women that are in our industry? And I mean, it's getting better, but how do you, mm. how do you feel about that? It's getting a lot better. And you'll have been similar to me when I was uh, working on the ladders. I was the only female surveyor in my area amongst uh, a lot of, well, it was all men. The only women were well, we had a female managing director at the time, but the only other women were the, the admin and the secretaries. And then there was me. Uh, now, it, you know, I went to a CPD event before Christmas, uh, work hold them every year. And they're really well attended and really and enjoyed. And I, I sat in that room and I looked around and I thought the diversity in this room and the, and the level of, you know, the percentage of women in the room as well was so much better than I'd ever experienced when I was on the ladders. But we are really making big, big you know, strides forward now 
But I have to say, when I was working in the recruitment of trainees, it wasn't 50-50. There wasn't a 50-50 split. And I still don't think there is. Maybe some women just don't understand or, or, or know that this is a really flexible role and can fit in with family really, really well. Or it might just be, <laughs> I'm going to say this is controversial, but I'm just going to say this, that uh, you know, it's a bit of a mucky old job sometimes. Now, I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> I quite enjoyed seeing the faces of the occupiers, seeing me lift a drain cover and thinking, gosh, how does she manage that? <laughs> and, you know, and, and seeing me lug my, lad, my ladders about. But some women maybe don't want to do that, but maybe some men don't want to do that. You know, but it's not, it's not an office job, is it? I came from an office job with heels and skirts and suits into this and, uh, and I loved it, but it's not for everyone, is it? No, and it's interesting you saying that. I remember when I was a trainee, uh, surveyor there was an, I think it was about the time oh was it was it no it wasn't when we had our first president I can't remember now I remember anyway I remember there was an article about why women don't why women aren't surveyors I think it was in the Estates Gazette and I remember thinking it was just totally biased it was just clearly written by a man you know this is sort of back in the back in the day now so, so and, why weren't they then why weren't women surveyors Oh, I don't know. They, 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 I think they, I think, I think the, the upshot of it was that they made some excuse because yeah, it's a mucky job. And I remember feeling really riled by this. So I got my pen <laughs> and paper out and wrote to the Estates Gazette and said, you know, I love this job. You know, I've got lovely nails. I never break a nail. You know, it's a great job and I can't wait to be qualified and all of this. And, um, it got printed in the Estates Gazette the next week as like hey. some letter responses. And then I broke all my flipping nails. <laughs> uh, I've never really had decent nails since. <laughs> um, so, but you know what? You know, it's, um, you know, we've, we've got gel nails now, ladies, for, for strength. Now, oh, so we can have nice nails when we do this job. But I remember that thinking, thinking, oh, God, is that just typical? My letter's in the Estates Gazette and now everybody's going to be looking at my nails. I was only but, just thinking, how did you manage to keep a decent set of nails? Because I never used to. No, no. And, you know, it's um, it's just a, it's an active job, I think, rather than a physical job. Because actually yes. we spend a lot of our times in the car. Um, yeah. I actually, uh, when I left my uh, corporate job, I mean, it's been a while since I've been on the tour, so I thought about going back, right? I've got a neck injury from a couple of car accidents I had and I just can't lift the ladders, you know, and, and do the loft yeah. catches and things. And I thought oh, I'll spend more time off than, than not. So I've had to rethink about how I yeah. um, how I work and the experience I've got. But, you know, the, it, it's great that you see more women coming through. And what I'm really loving at the moment, so, you know, yeah, I did this virtual summit a few years ago and... I'm going to say it. I'm thinking of doing something again next year, but we'll see. But, you know, it's great to see all these people coming through. What I'm really loving at the moment, though, is just the camaraderie that we have in just the the small, like our WhatsApp group, you know, we're part mm-hmm. of a WhatsApp group and we can flip from everything from, you know, what's going on in the world of surveying, talk about real estate finance, valuation, this, that and the other too. I think you were talking about dyeing your hair pink during lockdown and we were all <laughs> moaning about, you know, not being able to have my hair cut. My hair's terrible today. You know, and then you can flip back to something really serious and, and topical. And so, so I'm really enjoying that over the over the past um, couple of years. But also in our Facebook group that we've got, the Women in Spain Facebook group, we've got a link yeah. on, but nobody ever posts. Nobody ever posts. And, you mean, and it, you've got about 400, 500 people in there. But um, yeah. 
and maybe that's the platform I don't know but the Facebook group's lovely and again it sort of flits from you know what do we wear you know what have you found helpful I've been posting pictures of my office desk arrangements and they've been giving me (laughs) interior design advice to some practical stuff about being on out on site you know I mean there's there's not there's not confidential stuffing there but it's just really practical stuff and it's just nice to have 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 that camaraderie but what I especially love seeing is just the nurturing of that talent through yeah you know encouraging people and you know I didn't have any role models not really you know and we've got to be the ancestor you know we've got to help them come through and yeah the more we do it we can be ourselves, you know, they want to know about your gin shed. Everybody wants to know about your gin shed now, Monday. <laughs> like I've mentioned it about five times, you know, but they want to know about us as people and that it, and that it can be done. And that does come with a responsibility, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I didn't have a role model as a woman in surveying. And uh, I would like to be able to, like you say, nurture, and I do nurture people through and give them the confidence to be themselves in their roles as well. What do you think role models, female role models, need to look like? I think they need to look like themselves. I don't think they need to put a mask on. And I think they need to help the next people along. You know, it's not about elbowing elbowing your way to the top. It's not that at all. It's about being the best you can be and helping other people along the way. Uh, Well, my fellowship journey started I would say about five years ago and I hadn't really considered it before I I am old enough to be one of these surveyors who could in the back in the day I could have got a form filled in got it signed off and become a fellow that's how you used to become a fellow and I didn't want to do it because I didn't feel old enough (laughs) (laughs) you know you felt it was one of those things that old men had and I didn't want to I didn't want to be in that bracket so I didn't do it it's about five years ago I thought oh I really wish I'd done that I really wish I'd become a fellow. I noticed somebody at work who'd got it and he'd got it on his own and the respect he'd been given for, for, for uh, you know, attaining that level. I thought, well, I could do that. And then also at the same time, I was recruiting trainees and they were saying to me, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm ambitious and I want to be an ASOC and I, and, I, and I want to be MRICS, I want to be chartered and I want to be a fellow. Oh, blimey, I'm not a fellow. I maybe, you know, I should really do something about this. And, and I look... <laughs> I sat on the hairdressers one Saturday afternoon. I printed off the stuff off the RSS website. I sat on the hairdressers and I thought, oh my word, I need to be the, the you know, the president of RICS here. This is just not going to happen. So I was flicking through it. Thought, oh. I'll, I'll. And then I thought, well, no, actually, there's quite a lot of this I think I probably could tick, but, you know, and I identified some gaps. And then I set about being quite structured in my approach and being able to fill those gaps. One of them was APC assessing. You know, it's one of the reasons I did become an APC assessor was because I wanted to be a fellow. And the, the two things worked well together. And, and I, you know, and I, and I love APC assessing. So it's worked out really well. And then you put a post on LinkedIn, didn't you? Yeah. And you said, oh, you know, I'm looking at being a fellow. And uh, I'd like some other ladies to join me on the journey. And then it all started from there. So I'd already got quite, a, you know, a long way down the track. But then we held that Zoom, that Zoom call. Do you remember it? Mm. And I'd forgotten it was going to be on video and I hadn't even brushed my hair. And <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? And, uh, so, then, so then it was just a group of us, wasn't it, together? 
And, you know, things happen in your, in your personal life along the way. I mean, my, my dad um, was diagnosed with cancer and he, he, was, he actually died of cancer uh, not long after, right in the middle of me producing my fellowship application. And so I, I, did, I did take a little bit longer than I, than I wanted to originally because of that, obviously. But you, you became a fellow and Sharon did. And it was all this snowball effect. And you were like, are you going to put it in? Are you going to put it in? And yeah, I'll put it in. And I just sat there one night and I, I sat there till two in the morning and I finished off this application and I got it in. And, and wow, I actually got it. I actually achieved it. And it was, uh, I felt so good. It was so, it was just it's an amazing feeling. I think other yeah. than getting my APC, yeah, it, I think it's, it's it was a really amazing feeling for me. I just feel like I've I've got there. I'm, you know, and I'm just really proud more yeah. than anything. You know, uh, yeah, I was really really proud. Yeah, the one person I wanted to tell though was my dad, mm. and I couldn't tell him. So that was that was a shame. But uh, when I got the, when I got the email through from ICS, it came through on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> how how bizarre is that? I thought, oh, this is the wind up. <laughs> you know what? I, my mine came through randomly, and I had to reply back and said, "Is this true? Is this a joke? Is this an error?" And they're like, "Oh yes, yes, you passed." Oh, Did okay. you just say it's me then? I didn't tell anybody for a couple of days, and I, I went on the RSS website. Thought, I'll oh, just double check and see what it says next to my name, and there it was, FRICS. Thought, oh wow, oh they must have got me mixed up with somebody else. <laughs> That's nuts. That's nuts, isn't it? After all the, all your qualifications, all your career wins, all your progressing, you then yeah. get to do fellowship, and then then we still doubt: is it true? <laughs> is it an error? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not the only person because you've done it, and I've heard other people say the same as well. So it's just mad. One of the things I'm really proud of is last year they had the most number of women fellows. The uh, institutions ever had in its 150 odd years and I think that's just because we really encouraged women to go for it yes you know, and and just that camaraderie of look this is how it's done this is how you can support each other it's not about doing favors for anybody you know it's just going on that journey together and it's been amazing to see I mean when we've got a separate MRICS to FRICS women's group and you know where we sort of share top tips and examples and things like that and whenever yeah. a, a, you know a woman passes it's just a really good really, yeah. really good feeling I met a lady at RICS a few months ago I don't know what I was at now and uh, she recognized me from the group I went oh hello she said oh I haven't got my application in yet I said just get it in have a look at it and just just get it sorted and get it in. And she qualified two weeks ago. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, and just you know that, that's what that's what being a role model is. You know, it's showing people how it can be done, warts and all, but also those little nudges, checking in. How are you getting on? Do you need any help? Signposting you. You know, mm. that, that's the. I think that's the thing, and that's that's what will make a difference to the gender balance in our industry. You know, the diversity. You know, we can all mm. play a part just to encourage people through. So, Mandy, it's been lovely talking to you this morning. Thank you. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com. Hold up. 